Well, good morning, everybody. We greet you in the grace, peace, joy, and love of God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love to the family. Thank God for his love that we can share with one another. Come on, if you know God's been good to you, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Yeah, man, old folks used to say every tub sits on its own bottom. And you better give the Lord some praise for yourself. Don't try to get in on my praise because you don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. We are certainly grateful and thankful to the Lord for God allowing our moments to roll on just a little while longer. To our streaming audience, let me take this opportunity to say good morning to you. I'm Dr. D.Z. Cofield, senior pastor here at the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church of Houston, Texas. And we are people committed to loving God loving all people and changing the world in order to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we want to thank you for being with us on today, allowing us into your homes to inform your head, inspire your heart, to help you become all that God wants you to be. Only two kinds of people in the world, people who know Jesus and people who need him. If you know him, we want to help you grow in him. And if you need him, we want to help you come to know him as your personal savior. Well, just a couple of issues I want to share with you today. You know, this is a really, really tough time of the year in the midst of all of the holiday celebrations. It's also a time of tremendous sadness for a lot of people who are going through this holiday season without loved ones, maybe for the first time, or maybe these holidays remind them of those family members. Um, and then we also know that this time of the year is the highest rate of heart attacks and strokes more than any other time of the year. And this has hit us uh, in particular. I want you to keep Sister Ingrid Ashley in prayer. Um, she was just here signing last week and um, had a ruptured aorta. Um, I, I said a heart attack because if it's something with the heart, I just think it's a heart attack. Somebody told me it's not. I don't know what the formal name of it. She had seven-hour surgery this past week, and they think she might have also suffered a stroke as well, or a mini-stroke. And she is in the hospital now in ICU. Um, so we don't need visitors, but we need you to pray for her um, that God will continue to bring healing to her life. I was there when she came out of the surgery. Several of our members were there before and after. Her sister's there at the hospital with her and her brothers. And uh, she is talking now and alert. Um, and so praise God for that. Um, but they're running tests and um, still observing her and she's still in ICU. So I want you to keep her uh, in your prayers. Also want you to pray for the family of Michelle Smith. Michelle Senion Smith, um, one of our members, 34 years old, went home to be with the Lord, um, had a very, very rare form of cancer. I think her husband told me like five cases of this kind of cancer in the United States. And um, just a beautiful spirit inside and out, um, mother of, of two young children, and um, had a, a battle over the last couple of years and she passed away just before Christmas. So our home going was on yesterday and you know, it's always a uh, challenge when 
when some things happen that you just can't make sense of. And, you know, to see a 34-year-old woman um, loves a husband, husband loves her, loves her children, and just this tremendous future in front of them and to see her lose her life at such a young age. You know, I, I always say, man, there's some folk that I could recommend that the Lord could take, you know. I'm sure you can, come on now, you, you can come up with some folk too. Hopefully it's not the person next to you, but you can come up with some folk. You'd be like, Lord, you can take them. That'd be fine. And, um, you know, but I always say, I guess the Lord doesn't want them either. You know, they just, <laughs> Lord said, why you want to give them to me, right? You, you don't want them. But, man, you know, it, it just, it's just hard, you know, because at that point, all you have is your faith. That's all you have. You know, when it doesn't make sense, when stuff like that happens, man, all you can do is say, Lord, have mercy and just you know, cover them in believing prayer. So, uh, so I want us to pray for that family. Keep Pastor Sloan in prayer. He uh, came by the funeral yesterday. He actually married Michelle and Damien in 2012 and uh, caught the flight. And he is in Ghana now. And he is uh, teaching there at a pastor's conference in Ghana. And he'll be back next week. And so keep uh, Pastor Sloan in your prayers, um, that God will continue to keep him from hurt, harm, and danger um, there. All right? Let's go to God in prayer. I also want to keep uh, Sister Pat McCann in prayer. I understand uh, she uh, had a pacemaker installed this past week, had surgery, and so she's recuperating. So I um, want to keep her in prayer as well. All right? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to cover in believing prayer our brothers and sisters uh, who are going through a variety of things for all of the sick and shut in um, we lift them before you now uh, sister mccann sister ingrid ashley uh, brother herman wadi <clears throat> those that i can't even remember god just pray that you will uh, brother albert nichols god just pray that you will continue to bring healing into their lives and touch by the power of your holy spirit God, we pray for the Sinian Smith family at the loss of Michelle. We pray, God, for the strength of her father, her siblings, her husband, her young children. God, we know what you don't keep us from. You can bring us through. Uh, and that journey is not always pleasant. But, God, I just pray now that you would give them your strength and your power during this time of difficulty. I also pray, God, for Pastor Sloan, that you would give him traveling grace as he takes the gospel and teaches and trains pastors and leaders in Ghana to help them help people come to know you and grow in you. And so, God, I pray that you would supernaturally anoint his time there and bring forth great increase in the fruit of the gospel as it goes forth. Blessed as only you can. Where our prayers fall short, we ask you to make up the difference. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, during this holiday season, I don't know how many of you have just felt kind of tired or felt kind of blah. And you know, it, it's, it's just natural in the cycle of life, you know, when you're working hard and you're going through things and then you finally stop and take a break and you just feel like you're ready to collapse, right? 
So I want to encourage you, man, just to spend this time resting in the Lord and, and really focusing on the Lord and allowing the Lord to minister to you in a special way during this holiday season. Today, we're blessed to have preaching for us our newest addition to our staff roster, Minister Todd Strayhorn. Uh, Pastor Strayhorn actually came to this church in 1996. Uh, he was a student of mine at the Houston Bible Institute uh, preaching class I was teaching there. And, you know, we struck up this tremendous friendship. And, and I got to tell you, we didn't really strike up a friendship. He struck up a friendship. And I've just been following him for the last 20 plus years. Now, you got to know Todd Strayhorn to know what I'm saying. He has never gone anywhere and left without knowing at least four or five people. I've had an opportunity. We've traveled all over the world. He was my scuba diving buddy. And, uh, man, we, we've been all over. And I'm telling you, we walk in a place, and before you know it, when we leave, he's got people's names, phone numbers, email addresses, social security numbers, <laughs> date of birth. He got, I mean, he got every credit card. He got everything. Everything. I'm telling you, he's just that kind of person. He just has tremendous people skills and a love for people. And I love him, man, and appreciate him so much. He is our new director of ministry mobilization here at our church. Come on, let's thank God for him. And, and his number one job is to help you put your faith into action. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians talking, talks about working out your soul salvation. And I'm at a point right now in my life where I don't need a bigger church. I just need more people in the church to get more active. Right? Um, you know, we own the promised land here, and, and I was talking to somebody, and they said, well, you going to build a new sanctuary? I said, mm-mm. You ain't building nothing. I'm just trying to get the folk that are already coming more active. Right? And, no, and I want you to follow my logic here. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. So if you have a church of 1,000, that means only 100 people are doing the work. Our budget is met. 80%, 85% of our budget is met by about 12, 13% of the people. Twelve, thirteen percent of people, right? Uh, the overwhelming majority of people in our church give less than five dollars a Sunday. You spend more on a cup of coffee, and if you don't drink coffee, you spend more on a drink. Don't make me go there. I, 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 I'll knock on your door eventually. <laughs> I'll get to you. You spend, you spend more on that stuff than you give to the Lord. Now, now think about this. That's a church of a thousand has a hundred people active, which means if we could get 500 people actively involved in ministry, we could do the work of a church that has 5,000. Right? It's not about how many people show up. It's not about how many services we have. It's about how many lives we change. 
That's what ministry is about, how many lives we change. And that's what ministry mobilization is about. And that's Pastor Strayhorn's uh, task. And he has such people skills and, and a love for God's people and a love for people in general that I know uh, he's going to do a tremendous job. He's going to be preaching for us today. He blessed us at the 8 o'clock service, and I'm looking forward to what God says through him and to him. I was helped in the 8 o'clock message, and I'm going to be helped again. Just If he, if he says the same thing, I'm going to be helped because you know you never get a lesson the first time you hear it. You always got to be repeated to you over and over again. So I'm going to get a double dose today. E5S is in the house. E5S is going to allow the Lord to use them. It's so good to see some of the children's ministry people in here. I'll tell you what, it's their family day. They all off and everything. They all sitting up in here with the regular folk, like grown folk worship. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know that's right. I know that's right. Boy, I tell you what. So E5S is going to come allow the Lord to use them in song. And following that, we'll have our word for the day. All right, come on, put your hands together. Let's thank God for E5S. Joy is speakable. 
Yes, I have a joy, joy, unspeakable joy. Every time I think of the goodness of Jesus, I have joy. Yes, I've got the joy, of the Lord is fullness of joy and at his right hands are pleasures forevermore we love you God and we thank you for who you are for that which you are doing in our lives in the life of our church in the life of all of the families that come to be a part of everything that you're building on Sundays God loves us so much that he knows the number of hairs that's on each person's head that's in the room. He knows my name. He knows my name. He knows my name. He knows my name Oh, how he walks with me Know how he talks with me Know how he tells me That I am his own You know my name You know my name You know my name you 
Mark Taylor and Petrina for partnering with me once again corporately. Thank you, Pastor Cofield, for this opportunity. My friend, my brother, my pastor, my eulogist. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. What a grand opportunity to come and to be a part of this worship experience. We thank you so much for your love and kindness. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In all of the things that you've taken us through this year, we say thank you. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for our leadership. Speak to us now, O oh Lord, we pray. Speak to our souls today. For this is why we come, dear Lord. We are not ready for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. And your word is a light unto our pathway. Heaven and earth will pass. But your word will forever last. We are now ready for your word. How was your year? I heard about two or three goods. How was your year? For the most part, was your year like my year? I look better than the year was. I, I, I truly look better than the year was. But that's not really reality. What the reality of the matter is, and I'll give you an example, it was actually like a flight that I took earlier this year. It was a flight that was delayed. You know what it's like when things are not going your way. It sat on the runway for some time with obstacles in the way. 
There were some things that was hindering the progress of the plane. And like my year and like your year at the beginning, it started out with great anticipation, but it somewhat slowed down in the end, like right now with some of our members and some of our sick members. But one of the things that hindered and several things that hindered this flight from taking off the ground is like my life is that there was rain and the flame plane couldn't take off. The wind was heavy and it was cold outside and hail was flying against the plane. I mean, literally, for somebody figuratively. But all of these things hindered the plane from moving and getting on the runway. But finally, things kind of cleared up a little bit. And the plane was able to take off and en route the pilot said buckle up we're heading to cruising altitude but on the way there's an aeronautical term called banking the plane actually had to bank and turn and because it banks it actually causes me to have what you call vertigo to where I feel like I'm upside down And for somebody this year, that's the way you felt just coming in, let alone leaving out. And then before we got to the cruising altitude, a sign came on again and said, make sure your seatbelts are buckled up because we're going to experience some turbulence. Turbulence is chaotic pressure against the plane. And for somebody today, things have been kind of chaotic. It's been crazy in your family. It's been crazy on your job. It's been crazy in your community. If it ain't one thing, it's. But finally, we reached what you call cruising altitude. It was 40,000 feet in the air. And the relief that that had for me was that at that altitude, Everything that caused the plane to be unstable was now beneath me. The view that was very, very low before we left the ground, now that view has now turned into a panoramic view. I can see everything. And for somebody today, that's kind of how your year have gone if it's like mine. But the question is for me, when I was at what you call the cruising altitude, altitude, it was the point in time when I was most comfortable because I knew what took me up through all of that I went through could bring me back down. And for somebody today, you're cruising altitude, you haven't been there long because that is the point that we are most close to God is when we're up close to him. And in that attitude, that's a, a praise position. But the problem with all of that is for me was I allowed my problems to drive my praise. 
My problems were directly proportional to my prayer life. When it, my praise should be driving my prayer and my prayer driving my praise. For somebody today, I just want to share some things with you because in spite of what goes on in your life, we ought to be able to be thankful and give God praise, whether it's this year or whether it's going into the next year. And I want to take you to a prayer. It's a prayer that David prays. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And where we want to land is at verse 20. The chronicle in 1 Chronicle writes this letter to the Jews who have now come out of captivity. And this letter is not like Samuel, his first cousin, because Samuel talks about the dysfunction of the kings and the reason at the hand of the leadership why they were in the predicament they were in at that time. The chronicle of first, the writer of First Chronicles just simply wants to write and tell them that the God who brought you out is the same God who's going to take you in. And for somebody right where you are, you're wondering, how, is, I'm, how am I going to make it in to next year? God's going to take you. He's going to bring you in to where he wants you to be. But another reason that he was writing was to tell them that it was important that they continue their spiritual heritage, which was the temple worship. So David, in the first Chronicle 16, is that's what he's finished doing, is now instituting the temple worship, and now he goes home. But before he gets there, he makes sure that every person in the house got a loaf of bread, a slab of ribs, and some wine. So the story picks up in First Chronicles now 17, and David is now sitting in his own palace. And he's in his company as Nathan, the mediator between Israel and God. And it's quiet in the house. Shh. And in First Chronicles 17, the Bible says, after David settled in his place, he said to Nathan the prophet, prophet, here I am, living in a place of cedar, while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. All right. The ark of the covenant was simply a box paved with gold. But it was, a, it was, it was an instrument by which God showed Israel his presence through. It represented the very presence of God, not God. And inside that box, we know there were the tablets. We know that there was Aaron's rod. We know that there was manna. But we couldn't handle that box in any kind of way like you can't handle God right now. We had to come correct. Because you remember somebody touched the ark and they died, trying to hold the ark up. The ark ended up in places where it shouldn't have been and people died. Massive amounts of people died. We couldn't handle the ark in a way just like we can't handle God in any kind of way. But we're on our way to cruising. And I want to take you and show you what David saw in the midst of his situation and his circumstances with respect to 
Praise in the midst of prayer. Praise in the midst of prayer. David's now sitting on his throne and he tells Nathan, Nathan, I want to build God a house. Because my house is better than his house. It's made of cedar. Cedar, not an ordinary wood. If you have some in your house, it's, it's a very, very expensive wood. Cedar was a representation of what a Christian was. It was tall. It had a far leaves on its tarp. It was aromatic. It smelled good. It had resistive entities and that it re- repelled insect, insects. But more than anything, the cedar was plentiful. David says, I live in something really better than God. And we can't box God up. You know how you do when you want to do what you do. We exclude God and pull people into our lives who are going to do what we do. If you don't do what I do, you can't be in my loop. But David says, I want to make and build God a house. Nathan the prophet said, do it, David. Just go ahead and do what your heart desires. Before the night was was over, God engaged Nathan and said, I need you to go tell my servant David this. Number one, David, you can't build a house. Too much blood on your hand. But, But David, I need to remind you of some things that I've already done. He said, I brought you from the sheepfold to where you are now. In other words, I've taken you from the pasture. I've propelled you to a place of prominence as a prince over my people, Israel. And God has brought somebody today simply from a long way, from the backside, tending sheep when nobody was watching. And now you're in a place of prominence and your behavior is on display. But David didn't get mad. The text simply says that God said no. And what do you do when you have ambitions for God? And he says no, but God honors your intentions. I want to do this. God says no, but he honors his intentions in that he said, you can't build it. But your son will. And I'm going to bless him. I'm going to chastise him to let him know I love him. But that throne, David, is really not about you. It's about me. And what a luxury it is when God wants to use you. But really it's not about you. Because that throne shows up in Revelation chapter 4. But God says no. And Nathan says, do what you want to do with what you want to do for God. But verse 7 says, then tell my servant David that this is what the Almighty says. I took you from the passion, from the, the following of the flock to be ruler over my people. I've been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut you all All of your enemies off from before you. Now I will make your name like the names of the great men of the earth. I will provide a place for my people, Israel. I will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did as the beginning. I declare unto you 
that the Lord will build you a house. Not a house of cedar, but God right here decides in his sovereignty to build a dynasty through David. And, and the question I want to ask you today, can God build a dynasty through you? What, 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 uh, uh, do you have what it takes that God can use you to build a dynasty? Verse 12, he is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him. Talking about Solomon. I took it away from his predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. This throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words. This entire revelation. And then this plane banks. It's making a turn now. It's headed for a destination that I want you to go with me so we can see what it really looks like when you're really, really thankful. What do you really see? Because in verse 16, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. He's in his own house. But the Bible said that he goes in and he sits before the Lord. When was the last time that you took the time to just sit before the Lord? This is prompted by the awedness of God. David is in awe now that God would use him in any capacity to do anything. Don't you know who David is? He's like you. His marital, extramarital affair with Bathsheba. Don't you know who David is? He's that daddy who has the dysfunctional children. And the Bible said that the sword would never leave his house because of that crazy. Kathy White gave me a new word one time. Instead of saying crazy, she told me, say buffoonery. It's a big word. But something happens right here. David now in awe goes before the Lord. And many call this an upper room experience. In Revelation chapter 4, if I back up to Revelation chapter 3 and at the end, John now gives his dissertation to the seven churches of Asia and Minor from God. Verse 4, his attention is distracted in that it said, and I looked And John saw a door that was open in heaven. And there was a voice that sounded like a trumpet that said, John, come on up so I can show you the things that's going to be. John, on the other side of obedience, said when I walked through, he said, I was in the spirit. Well, John, how do you know? He said, I saw a throne. That same throne that we're talking about in the first Chronicles. He said, I saw a throne. And I saw he who sat upon the throne. And in his words that he could use in his day and time, he said, all I could tell you, it was so brilliant. It was brilliant as the stones that were in the ephod of the priest in the New Testament. All right. He said, there was a rainbow wrapped around it. It was so brilliant. 
But what I'm trying to tell you is that John made it on the other side of obedience. And when we get up with God, we see things that we've never seen before. He was blown away. David, right now, is floored. He is in awe that God will use him in any capacity. And as I look at you and I know all about me, you ought to be in awe. You, you really ought to be in awe that God will use you in any capacity. With the gifts, skills, and abilities, and what this church needs that God has given to you, you ought to just be in awe to have them, but God ought to be able to use your gifts and talents because he gave them to you. David is in awe. But how we know David is where he really needs to be is that there's two clauses in the text that suggest what's going on. Verse 14 says, in verse 14, who am I, Lord? That's verse 16. That is my family that you have brought me this far. And as this were not enough in your sight, O oh God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You have looked on me as though I were most exalted of men. O oh Lord God, but blows David away, he says, who am I? Who are you? That God will use you in any capacity. What have you done? That God would bless you to drive what you drive in. What have you done that God would bless you to live the way that you live? Is that not enough? So we know David now is humbled. He's in awe. He sits before God. He's down on his knees. He says, God, who am I? And then the next thing he says in verse 18, he says, what have I done? Yeah. What, what, what really have I done to merit anything? He says, God, you know me. Now, let, 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 let's stay right there because the person behind you, they don't know you. But God knows you. When you really look at that and you really examine God knows you, it ought to put you in awe. It ought to be enough to get you before the throne of God on your face. Who am I that you bless me? I'm out of fear of war. On the other side, trash. I'm the bishop beneficiary of the block cheese. Who, who am I that you put shoes on my feet, Lord, with a buckle on them? <laughs> what have you done that you were sitting where you're sitting right now, comatose, and you're having a hard time getting to cruising altitude? To understand and realize that it's nothing that you've done. So what I want to share you now with you in verse 20 is the response of David 
when he realizes in a prayer that he doesn't deserve anything. He doesn't deserve anything. But what does David see? Now that he's been humbled, he's having a throne room experience. He's sitting now before God, and this is what David says. He says, God, there's no one like you. There's no one like you. There's no one like you. All of the songs are personal experiences that David wrote of the dysfunctional and the functional life that he lived, but in total dependence on God. The Lord is my shepherd. Somebody supplied something. First person, the Lord. Yea, though I walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I shall feel no evil for thou art with me. David had had some experiences in his life which caused him to humble himself and pray. But when he got to that point, he was able to see it. And sometimes we can't see what we need to see because you won't get to where you need to get. And that's before the Lord. So what's holding you up? What's really hindering you from taking the time off out, get off your throne and get on your knees? Because I, I, I have to confess this year that most of my praying was driven by my problems. My praise... My prayer should have been driven by my praise, not my problems. And I'm a victim. I got consumed this year. I didn't pray like I should have. I got consumed with the job. I got consumed with the family. I got consumed with my health. But, but, but I'm thankful. Because every time I go get checked for counsel, the latest time that I've gone, I've gotten this report back that says the counsel was undetected. David had experiences, and that's why he could say, there is no one like you. But he also says in the next breath, there's none but you. There's nobody but you. If you remember, Saul was after David during his lifetime of being a fugitive. David ends up in the hills of Adullam. It was a place where David could rest. And this year just seemed like it hadn't been any rest for me. What about you? Already we're at the end of the year and you're tired. But you're looking good. You're broken on the inside and you're playing it off. Your family's dysfunctional just like mine. What have you done? God, there's none like you, but God, there's none but you. And I said this earlier. I said this earlier when I was in the hospital getting my hip replaced totally. I, I, I never would forget because I, I, David went through a lot of pain in his life like so many of us have. And I just remember only one thing about the total hip replacement that I had. 
and that is the pain. That's all I remember. I'm walking good, still got my little pimp walk, and you didn't even know it. Still got it. But, but I remember waking up, and they needed to administer the painkiller to, to my body because they already knew the pain that I was going to experience. And they rolled me into a room, and their pain was on its way. Just like the pain you're in right now. And I screamed to the top of my voice, Oh! And I heard a voice in the background. She said, It's coming! And that was that juice. But I heard the Lord's voice say, I'm right here. That's none but him. And there's none besides him. But lastly, there was none heard of like him. I like this term this generation uses now. It's noise. There was no noise like him. It, it was noise how God took care of Israel. It was noise how they came through the desert and how God's hand was upon them when they were thirsty. It was noise when they needed food from heaven that they had for 40 years. Can you imagine ribeyes for 40 years? The, the shoes on their feet never wore out for 40 years. They had a PPO plan. They had a dinner plan. They had a health plan. God took care of them. He watched over them, even when they were bad. He gave them an opportunity to redeem themselves. What have you done? What have you done? Well, God will put you right where you are. It's a luxury to even be under the sound of my voice. Verse 23, David summarizes everything to the end of the chapter. And he just simply says, let it be, Lord. He reiterates everything that God said he was going to do. And he just simply says, Lord, let it be. Whatever you want to do, bless it, Lord. I'm just happy to be a part of it. I'm not mad you let my son build a temple. I ain't mad at that. I'm just happy to be around. It is somebody right now today. You've been through enough stuff to be excited to be where you are. Family members. Job. You're you just happy to be right where you are. But let me close this out. After the plane went up to its height, the cruising altitude, it had, what goes up must come down. And I'm getting off the plane. I grab my bag. I'm walking down the aisle. And I, when I look forward, I saw an instrument panel, something I'm very familiar with. And on the instrument panel was all kind of gauges. And then to the right were buttons and levels of pull and buttons of push and lights and flashing lights. And I understood something because a face popped out. And that face was the pilot who navigated all of the circumstances while I was in flight. See, while you're flying, all kind of stuff is happening. Bad stuff. But the pilot navigates the situation so that you will have something what they call a bumpless transfer. When there's a problem, when there's turbulence. Sometimes you never feel it because the pilot has made an adjustment in the cockpit. And all I'm trying to tell somebody is that the Lord has been the navigator of your life. 
He has controlled the circumstances of your life. When the plane was banking, it was him at the the wheel. When the plane was going through some turbulence, it was him at the wheel. So David in all of his dysfunction is amazed that God would even use him in the midst of his dysfunction to do what God wanted to do and use him as a conduit. But I'm convicted. So I've decided that this year I'm going to make some adjustments on my life when it comes to my prayer life. I'm going to extend some things. I'm going to get down a little bit more often. But when I have a little trouble getting down, I got some for that too. These are not new. Somebody, you need a pack. Somebody, enough going on in your life where you need two pair. You need a pair at work. You need a pair at home. You need a pair when you drive in the church so you won't say bad things. But I said that this year, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend a little more time on my knees, giving God glory and thanks in the midst of my prayer. I'm going to praise him a little bit more this year, intentionally. I'm going to get in position this year to say, God, thank you for all that you've done. It's a long list, I'll tell you. But it's just amazing. I was in a washroom the other day, and I almost started shaking because I remember when I washed my clothes in the washroom, in the bathtub, and how I used to push them against that scrub board. And how I used to take them and put them on the clothesline and come in and make the argo starch for the jeans after I iron them and put them in the refrigerator, pull them out and sprinkle them so that when I iron them, they stand up by themselves. I just started shaking because I'm looking at the washing machine do what I used to do. And there are things in your life that you used to do. Because of who God is, you don't do them no more. Then I moved them over to the dryer, and I just stood up there shaking and said, you know, God is so good. God, I could put him in the, in the, in the, in the bathtub, but I just, I just want to use the washing machine today. I got to thank him. When I look over to my left, I, got, I see a woman sitting over there, and I'm close. Her name is Sadie Strayhorn. She brought us up in Fifth Ward, Texas. It's just around the corner. We lived on the other side of the track. But every now and then, my mama would go to work, call, and I would pick up bats to take so nobody wouldn't jump on mama. But now I look at it today. I look at where I am and what do I deserve? Mama took care of two boys without a daddy. I got to say thank you. So that's why I'm down here for a little while. I, I got to say thank you. I, I got to say thank you for D.C. Coffee for allowing me to make mistakes to help me mature me in my life and in my growth with the Lord. But this year, D, I say I'm going to spend a little more time on my knee pads. Somebody needs a set of these because you need to tell the Lord simply thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being good. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for watching over me. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for keeping the cancer out of my body. Thank you.
you for members who are sick and we can go by and see them. Thank you for opportunities in the church and God to give me gifts, skills, and ability to do them. Thank you for the opportunity. And all the people said, Father God in heaven, we simply want to say thank you again and again and again and again for holding our hand. You know our name. You know the stuff we've done. You know where we've been, where we shouldn't have gone. You know what we've put in our bodies that we shouldn't put up. You know our name. So what is it about us that you would do anything in us and the answer is nothing, simply just you love us. And we say thank you. We love you, Lord. And we're going to do better this year. We're going to get on our knees, whatever it takes get down and not allow our problems to be directly proportional to our praise we want to be able to honor you if the times are good if the times are bad when we rise in the morning and when we go out in the evening we simply want to say thank you in Jesus name we pray and all the people of God said amen As the choir comes, as the choir comes, I, I suggest you get a pair of these. They pretty boy, I'll tell you. That, that, my inability to pray and to be consumed about the circumstances that were surrounding me was something that I really had some control over. Because it's how I really, God's not holding you responsible for how people treat you or circumstances treat you. God is holding you responsible for how you respond to it. You choose to get at his feet. You choose to humble yourself before him. You choose to say thank you. And if somebody here today you say I'm not going to go into the new year being ungrateful. I I'm going to give the Lord my life. It's no magic. It's no magic. It's no magic. It's no magic. We have people up front who will embrace you and love you and show you how to ask Christ into your life. You can't go into the new year without him. You can't. So we want to give you an opportunity as the choir sings upstairs, downstairs, Give God an opportunity. Give him a chance to be a part of your life. Will you come? Would you come? Good hope. And stand if you can. Oh, in Jesus. He
Stay on your feet if you can. That song is for you. It's nothing better. You've got to get to know him. Would you come today? If you're looking for a church home, even if it's just prayer, we'll pray with you. Send you where you need to go, take care of you. Would you come? Would you come? You can't go into the next year without him. Right now. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You can't make it in without him. It's going to be some turbulence along the way. The pain, the plane is going to be banking and you're going to get money to go. You might get upside down. But he got you. But we'll go another. Would you come? Come on, we'll hug you just like that. It's not going to matter. The life that David lived, God decided to use him in spite of that. It's not about you, it was about him. But what a luxury it is to be in the family of God and God use you right where you are. Would you come? Would you come? We'll wait on you. We'll wait on you. We'll wait on you. We thank God for his word today. We thank God for his word. In the balcony, I see you. We'll wait for you. Let's pray. Stretch out your hand. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you again for another word from you. And where we're falling short this year, we pray that you will fill us with the Holy Ghost to make up the difference in next year. Where our prayers have fallen short, where we fail to get to cruising altitude to spend time with you. We ask, oh God, that you help us to not allow our problems to determine our praise. We thank you for he, this sister who have come. We pray, oh God, that we would do all that we can do to help her be what you want her to be. Watch over and keep and assign your best angels to take care of her. We ask this in the name of Jesus and everybody who loves the Lord said amen. Come on. Come on, let's thank God for Pastor Strayhorn. You know, uh, I was really helped by that message because it is so easy to shift into problem-based praying and problem-based living where you focus on what you don't have and what's wrong instead of being praise-filled in your prayers and in your living. And it certainly wasn't that David didn't have problems because we can read the biblical record and the Bible teaches us that David had problems, but it's always interesting 
surrounding his problems and infused in the expression of his problems was always this spirit of praise. It was always this spirit of praise, thankfulness and gratitude to the Lord. And, um, you know, one of my favorite Psalms, if you, if you, if you wonder how to thank God in your prayer life, uh, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 103. Uh, because beginning in verse 1 through about verse 9, David talks about all the things that God has done for him. He just chronicles and lists out some of those things and just begins to bless the Lord. But in verse 10, he does something a little different. He shifts from what God has done and begins thanking God for what he hasn't done. Somebody's going to get that on the way home. You know, David said, just in case your list runs a little short, or maybe you have some self-imposed amnesia regarding what you should be thankful for. He says, start thinking about all the things that could have happened that haven't happened that you should thank God for. Right? Grace is what God does that we don't deserve. Mercy is what God extends to keep us from what we do deserve or what we could experience and David says between what God has done and what he has not done or what he has not allowed our lives should be filled with thanks come on let's thank God for that message one more time and and I'm going to tell you a little something as we get ready to worship the Lord in giving man a praise filled life is like good rue to a gumbo you know Yeah, I've, I've been in uh, I've been in Texas um, now just just under thirty years, and um, I've I've learned over the years that the key to a good gumbo is the roux. You can throw any ingredients you want to throw in there: shrimp, lobster, crab, whatever the king crab. And dooley sauces, chicken, you throw whatever you want to throw in there. But if that roux's not right, I got some gumbo folk in here that know what I'm talking about. That, that roux's got to be right. And you can't burn the roux. Roux got to be right. Got to season that roux right. Got to throw a little the pepper in there right, cayenne, a little seasoning. You got to throw that, got to make it right. Listen. A problem-filled prayer can be like bad root to your spirit. Because if all you focus on is the negative, then that's all you're going to get. But when you learn how to be thankful and praise-filled in your prayer, come on, that'll make that thing right change your perspective yeah that was a hopeful word we're going to worship the Lord in giving good hope it's time for the offering amen let's prepare to worship the Lord in giving today I want you to give as God has blessed you give as God has prospered you 
Uh, worship is always, always to include giving. We, we read the biblical record and the people of God never worship God empty-handed. Whether it was their produce or whether it was currency of the day, they always came to the Lord thanking God for what they had been blessed with. And so we come today and we honor the Lord with our substance. Amen. If you're going to give, you can give online. Uh, push pay uh, is our electronic means. For those of you who are streaming, you can click the Give Now button and you can give via push pay. Those of you who are still using Givelify, uh, you can still give through Givelify, but we're transitioning out of Secure Give and Givelify and pushing everything through push pay. All right. Amen. All right, listen, we're going to uh, receive an offering for Pastor Strayhorn today. Those of you who would like to be a blessing to him and encourage him, uh, we're going to do that now. If you're going to make a check, make it out to Good Hope, make it good. You can also go online and give um, to the um, guest minister slot. I think it's still there. Um, and uh, we'll make sure that we um, bless him today for sharing with us and encourage him in the Lord. I hope that you're ready as we worship the Lord in giving. I hope that you're ready to get ready for next year. Hope you're getting ready to get ready. Hope you're ready to get ready. Are you ready to get ready? Well, just get ready. You ain't got to get ready to get ready. Get You just be ready. No, next year we want next year. How many of you want next year to be the best year in your life? Anybody? So I, so I got to tell you something. I was, I was watching the news this morning, and uh, I believe it was on Friday, Orlando Sanchez, who is the outgoing county treasurer, uh, held a press conference across from HISD to call for the state to come in and take over the Houston Independent School District. And, and it's amazing to me. This is what's amazing to me, y'all. This is what's amazing. How people, school board members and administrators want to fight to keep the state out and, and want to talk bad about the state when we've had schools failing for generations under the school board. Generational failure, right? I'm talking about like grandmamas were failing in the school and their children were failing in the school and then their grandbabies are now failing in the same schools, right? School's been failing for nine years, nine straight years. Right. And, and, and the school board is sitting there talking about, well, we don't want this. Thing. So, so here's the thing. You know the definition of insanity, right? Doing what you've always done the way you've always done it and expecting a different result. And it's crazy that we leave the same people in place talking the same stuff. And this stuff has been going on for generations. Now. As crazy as that is, you know how crazy it is for you to keep doing the same thing you've been doing? And then talking about you want this year to be the best year in your life. 
That's insane if you don't make a change in your life. If you want next level blessings, you got to make next level commitment. If you want God to do something different in your life, then you've got to give God something different from your life. If you want more, you got to give more. Am I making sense? So whatever it is that we want God to do, let's make sure that it starts in us. And if we want God to do something different, then we've got to be willing to give him something different. All right. Amen. Uh, let me ask first, second, third time visitors. 